Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hi guys, great to be here tonight. I'm Michael, lead pastor here at Salt Church. Now I want to begin tonight by talking to you about big moments in life. Uh, so you know those moments in life where you, you're feeling incredibly excited, but also incredibly daunted at the same time. Uh, you know those moments where you go, I'm doing the grown-up thing here. I'm being an adult, even though I feel like a little kid. And even though you feel like at some point someone's going to come up to you and say, actually, it's time to go home. Um, have you ever felt like that? I, I can relate to that. Um, there's some big moments that I can reflect on in my life. So my first job out of uni, uh, I had the piece of paper. They, it, the paper said I was an engineer. Uh, I just didn't feel like one. And I turn up to work. Everyone looks professional. Everyone knows what they're doing. And I can't believe they've actually paid me for this job. I feel so inadequate and I don't know anything. I remember the day that I got married realizing, wow, I'm promising to Natalie for the rest of my life to love, care, respect, lead her. Huge promise. Uh, I remember uh, our first child being born, uh, bringing Chloe home in the car and really realizing I really don't know what I'm doing here. (laughs) Uh, I remember graduating from Bible college and going back to my home church and they'd given me the role of pastor, sitting in uh, the pastor's office where the pastor that I'd grown up with sat and led church and thinking, I feel so small and so inadequate. That's what we're doing at the moment at Salt. We're, what are we doing? We're doing so absolutely massive. Uh, we're raising a million dollars for a new home. So raising a million dollars over three years so that we might have a permanent space, a secure space, a larger space, Uh, So we might grow more disciples in Wollongong for generations to come. It's massive. And it really does feel like that grown-up moment, doesn't it? Here we are, we're we're not a huge church. Uh, We're not an old church, we're a young church. Uh, And we're doing a really grown-up thing. And it feels a bit like someone's going to tap us on the shoulder and say it's time to go home now. Exciting, but daunting at the same time. Uh, And it's actually in those moments where you feel small, you feel inadequate, you feel weak, uh, that you know it's going to be okay because God is big and God does know what he's doing. In fact, that is the best possible place to be. Uh, Small, vulnerable, weak, because God is big, God is strong, God is able. And that's exactly where God wants us to be. What I want to do tonight is uh, take a step back from buildings and new home. We'll talk a bit, bit about that at the end. But understand God's big picture plans for his glory. Uh, so come with me on this journey. Uh, it's going to be a reorientation of ourselves. Uh, here we are, uh, little salt church under a great God, humbly serving him. Let's get our perspective right. Let's set the Uh, the scene right from the Bible as we start this series. Uh, Big responsibility for us, awesome opportunity for us in New Home, but let's start with God's glory. And we're going to do it uh, from the bookends of the Bible. So Genesis, the first book of the Bible, 
and then Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and see where the movement is from to in regard to God's glory. So come with me, Genesis chapter 1, have it open in front of you, have your, uh, your phone in front of you with the Bible app on it. Um, what do we see in Genesis and in Genesis in these first couple of chapters? Now, you'd probably be aware, some people get caught up in a whole lot of controversial questions in Genesis, yeah? How old is the earth? Uh, did God create in six days or was it thousands of years? Uh, but they're actually not the questions that Genesis is answering. Genesis is concerned for much bigger questions, much more important questions. Here's what I reckon they are. Uh, what is our world like? What are we like? What is God like? And how is God different to the, to the gods of the nations, the gods that we invent as human beings? So let's have a look. The first thing you see as you, you hear Genesis read, I reckon, is you see that the world that God created is good. Have a look down in verse 12. It's repeated a number of times. Let me point it out to you. Verse 12, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed and according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. It was good. Down, down to verse 18, it's repeated Talking about the lights in the sky, the, the separating from the light to the dark. Verse 18, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water, water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. You see the kind of place that God makes? It's not a horrible place. Uh, It's not a meaningless place. Here is a beautiful place. Uh, Here is an orderly place. Here is a a purpose-built place. In fact, you read through all of Genesis 1 and 2 and you realise here is the whole creation that is good and God says it's good. But you notice there's something that is not just good but very good. Uh, it was right at the end of chapter 1, uh, it is humanity. Uh, God creates humanity and it is very good. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move, al- move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. See, there we are, we're made, uh, we're created in the image of God. Uh, What does that mean? When you look at us, you should see something of the splendour of God, of the greatness of God. We are made in his image. Uh, What else is it telling us? It's telling us our lives are not meaningless, Uh, they are purposeful. Look at verse 28, God bless them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it, over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See the the beautiful world that God has made. See that it is good. See that humanity is very good, purpose built. But what is God like here? Do you notice God is powerful? Uh, Do you notice his word is powerful? You notice it keeps coming up, doesn't it? He speaks and 
things happen. He speaks the creation into being. Do you notice that phrase that kept uh, being repeated? And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. That is, when you look at God's creation, it shouts back at you, God's awesome in power. His word is powerful. Look at what he's made. It's, it's the idea in Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Uh, do you see the God that we see here? Everything comes from him. Uh, he's not the created one. He's the creator. Uh, he's not part of the creation. He's separate from the creation. Uh, before everything was created, he was. Everything holds together because of him. Everything is made by him. Nothing exists without him. And everything is for him and his glory. Now, that is so different to the gods of the ancient world. Uh, the gods of the ancient world were created to be powerful, but they were the gods who were at war with one another, who used their power against each other, who were evil and fickle in nature, immoral gods, uh, devouring and envying, but God is not only powerful here, God is also generous. You see that in the creation he's made too, don't you? See this creation, it is, it is absolutely huge, isn't it? It is incredibly fruitful. Uh, look down in verse 20, it's teeming with living creatures. Uh, it's a paradise with countless species, each intricate and beautiful in its own kind, and there are many kinds. Uh, this is not a stingy God. This is a generous God who's given us his creation. And what does he do? He blesses the creation. He makes it fruitful. He actually designs a world for us to enjoy and to rule over. And he also wants us to be fruitful too. Look at that in verse... Uh, we saw that in verse 28, but look down in verse 29... Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. You see what God's saying? Here it is, all beautiful. It is all for you. Rule over it, enjoy it, be fruitful in it. So see the picture, there is God, powerful, but also incredibly generous. Can you see the picture of God? Here is a good God, a generous God. A God that as you get to know in the pages of the Bible, you realise, what an awesome God. What a beautiful God. But Genesis is not the only place we get to know God. By the time you get to the end of the Bible, we know God a whole lot better. By the time you get to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, you've got a much fuller picture of God. But before we get there, have you ever been asked this question? Why did God make us leave the garden? 
Why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? Why not just stay in the garden for all eternity? Uh, Why did God let all of history unfold? What was all that about? Why all those lives, those deaths, why all that pain? What does all of human history achieve? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever had someone ask you that? The answer is, so that God might be known for his perfect glory, his perfect greatness. Uh, let me show it to you. Come, come to the last book of the Bible, so Revelation chapter 21. So flick a massive amount of pages over to the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. Here's a book of visions uh, given to the Apostle John. Uh, it's like God has given him these visions of reality. Uh, God's drawn back the curtain. Here is what's going on in the world. Here is, the, here is reality. And John's written them down for us. And here's one of them in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven, verse 1, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. You can see the movement that's happened. There's a difference here, isn't there? Uh, Now we're in the city. We were in the garden. But notice too, there's similarities here. Notice here is the spring of the water of life. Uh, Do you remember in Genesis, we had the tree of life. Uh, Notice here in verse 3, God dwells with his people. Uh, God dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Uh, In both of these bookends, there's a bride and a groom. Uh, There's Adam and Eve in Genesis, but here in Revelation, it's Jesus the groom, isn't it? And who is the bride beautifully dressed for her groom? It's his people. It's the church. In many ways, there's lots of similarities, but in Revelation, there's, there's... things here that are showing us about God that we would never have known in the book of Genesis in the garden. First one is, here we see the God of mercy, the God of grace and compassion, 
in a way that we could never see in Genesis. Uh, He's massively generous in, in, in Genesis. He's a good God. But what is God here? He's the God who wipes away every tear. Uh, Here is the God who ends suffering for all time. Here is the God who shows his power by conquering death. There is no more death anymore. Here is the God who will make all things new. And so what do you see here? You see here's the God who is full of mercy and charity and forgiveness using his power in a way that you could never see in the book of Genesis. In fact, here you see God to the depth of his call. Here is who God is. Here's a better picture, clearer picture of who God is in his very nature. It's like when God spoke to Moses in Exodus 34 and said, I will be who I will be. Let me show you who I am. And he says to Moses, I am the God of mercy and compassion. I'm the God who is gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. But also here is his judgment. On display in heaven is God's perfect judgment. He's the, he's the perfect judge. Uh, it's, it's also what God says to, to Moses next in 34. I'm the God who will not let sin go unpunished. And so look down at verse, verse 8 again. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consi- consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. Can you see why God has gone the journey from Genesis to Revelation? Can you see why all of human history... It's so God might be seen for who he truly is in all his beauty, in all his goodness, all his kindness, all his compassion, all his mercy, all his power, all his glory is what we get to see. And you see it, you see it in the bookends, you see it in Genesis and Revelation, but it's no surprise you actually see it in the journey along the way, don't you? Uh, So do you remember when God raised up Pharaoh as the enemy to Moses? Why does God do that? God God tells his people, I've done it for this very purpose. So I might show you my power. And my name might be known in all the earth. Why did God save Israel out of Egypt? Uh, The prophet Ezekiel makes it really clear. He says, God says to you, Israel, it was not for you. It was not for your, your sake. I did it for my holy name. I did it so that the whole world might see how great I am. Why did Jesus go to the cross? John 17 says, Jesus tells us, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You're about to see the greatness of God. Jesus at the cross. Uh, Why does God save us in Jesus? Paul says in Ephesians, he made us alive with Christ. It's by grace we've been saved. He raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2. Why? In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why did Jesus 
save us. He saved us because he loves us. But he saved us for so much more. He saved us for his, for his own glory. He saved us so that the whole universe, every living creature, every angel, every authority, every, every, everyone in the, in the heavenly realms might see God's incredible kindness and grace and mercy and power so that all the universe might look on and go, wow, look what God has done. That is amazing. How great is he? How loving, how forgiving, how merciful, how wise, how powerful. See, why, why did God allow all of human history to play out? Why did God determine all of human history to play out? So he might display his mercy and his judgment. So we might see his glory. Now, I don't know, how does that sit with you? How, how are you feeling about that? That is, that is humbling, isn't it? As you reflect on that, you realise even your life is not about you, but about God. That you're not the main character. Actually, the movie's not about you. You're in God's movie. You're actually an extra in your own story. God doesn't revolve around your life. He's not there for you. You're there for him. You are designed to revolve around him. Your life is not about your dreams. It's actually about God and his glory. And we are caught up in this massive drama of God, this unfolding drama of God, under him and his glory. That's humbling, isn't it? That's incredibly humbling. Humbling. But it's also, let me say this, I reckon it's also incredibly inspiring to know this God, to realise, wow, we are created for something much, much bigger than ourselves. Uh, you'll always lose purpose, you'll always do the downward spiral when you, realize, when you think that life is about you. Who are the most miserable people that you know? The people that all of life centres around them. Isn't that what a midlife crisis is about? I've been thinking about midlife crises um, lately and it's not related to me at all. Um, but what is that about? What is any crisis about in life when you come to that crunch point and realise my life, my dreams actually haven't played out the way I thought they would play out? Or I've been crushed by someone or something and you realise... I'm not at the centre. But if, if, if your life is about you at the centre, that is destroying, isn't it? That is depressing for it all to come crashing down. I caught up with a, a friend recently uh, and he invited me over to his place and we're sitting in his really, really nice house on his back deck. Uh, he's just driven me to his place in his really nice car. He's just come back from a really really nice overseas holiday, which he regularly does. He's uh, told me about an amazingly profitable deal he's done for the company that he's, he's the director of. But then he admits to me that, actually, my life is pretty lonely. As I think about it, it's empty and meaningless. And it's because... 
Well, I don't know whether he, he's at that point yet, but I think he's starting to realise it's because it's been all about me. And as I think about that, I think, gee, how different it could be. How different life could be for him if he realised all that you have is a gift from your gracious Heavenly Father. That you're precious to him, that all of your life is about bringing glory to him, that it has purpose, that it has meaning, that in fact it's eternal, that you're actually caught up in his plans your life would be very different. How inspiring. That your, your life is about following in his footsteps, to realise that you're made for something bigger. That's inspiring, isn't it? That's, that's what you want to get out of bed for. That's, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to realise I'm not at the centre. In fact, that's what we're on about here at Salt, bringing glory to God. That's what Salt's always been about. Now, can I say, if you're, if you're new, if you're, if you're still getting to know God, if, if that's where you're at, don't get excited about this new home, a building. That's not where it's at. Get to know this God who's inspiring. Get to know this God who's worth giving up everything for to live for and bring glory to him. If you walk away from here going, I want to know him, I want to get to know him. I want to live for him. I want to give all to him. That's a win tonight because that's where life is really at. In fact, as we talk about God's glory, I reckon uh, it says something uh, to us about what our new home can never be. It can never be for our glory, can it? That just makes no sense uh, for disciples of Jesus. It, It must never be a monument to us. You know how you learn so much about people's, pe- people from their houses? Our new home must never say, wow, isn't salt great? Isn't salt big or generous or whatever? That's never what it's going to be for. It's never going to say how impressive we are. But often that's what buildings do, isn't it? They point to the maker, the designer, the owner, maybe the users how impressive they are. They pay tribute to someone. They point to someone's glory. Um, So there is, in America, it shouldn't surprise you, the Barack Obama Library. Um, In Sydney, there's the Ian Thorpe Aquatic Centre. Who's been there? Yeah. Uh, There's the John Howard Civic Centre. I know you've all been there. (laughs) Now, what building would they name after you? The Michael Plage Waste Management Facility. <laughs> Can you picture, picture a new home for salt in Wollongong? Picture the rooms in our, new, in our new home. What would you name each room? Who would you name each room after it's salt? What would be the name of the person on that, in that room? As you walk through the door, this is the room. You got that? Scrap that idea. We're not doing that. One of the things I really loved about my home church, uh, a previous generation, godly Christian men and women, raised a whole lot of money to build a church building, a home for church. But there was nowhere in church where you could tell who had given what. There was no plaque that said, uh, these 
uh, pews, these chairs have been given by the Jones family or this sound desk or this kitchen was donated by the Edmonds family. And that's what we want, isn't it? Because what do we want? We want the glory to go to God. Whose name's on the building? God's name's on the building. And the building's not there to impress. It's not there to make us feel successful. Uh, It doesn't have to have architectural merits or make Wollongong think that we've made it or anything crazy like that. It's for God's glory. In fact, here's a good goal for us. If you want to aim for a, a new home that brings glory to God and is not about us and not about you and not about me, think forward 70 or 80 years when none of us are around. And think about our new home in Wollongong. Think about great ministry happening there, the Word of God taught there, more disciples being made there. Uh, We're all dead and buried. We're all over in Wollongong Cemetery because no one has left Wollongong (laughs) because you, you won't want to. But when you put your sights there and, you know, we've been forgotten, no one remembers our contribution, then you realise that's what it's for, isn't it? That's the work we want to see long term. That's, it's for God's glory, it's not about us. It's like all of our efforts need to be swallowed up in, in God. So God gets the glory. And, and that is profoundly Christian, isn't it? That is profoundly what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you, do you know that song, May the Mind of Christ My Saviour? I don't think we, we sing it here at Salt, but some of you might remember it um, from other contexts. I remember this song growing up. Uh, let me not sing it to you. <laughs> May the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Great words, but the last line always captured me. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the loss to win, and may they forget the channel, seeing only him. When I first heard that hymn, I didn't know what channel meant. And I thought of the, um, I thought of the channel at, at the beach, uh, the rip that goes out. Um, none of you are surfers, you just don't get this. Um, but, sorry. Um, it's, it's us, the channel, right? We are the channel, God is working through us. Forget us. May people not see us, may they see God's glory, God's greatness. That's what we're aiming for. Wouldn't it be awesome if the people of Wollongong uh, saw God's goodness, God's kindness, God's forgiveness, God's greatness on display through us, but it doesn't end in us, it ends in God and his glory. How, how, would, a, how would a new home for us here at Salt do that? How would, as we finish up, let's think about how would... A building glorify God. I think we, we heard from Matt and Krista earlier. The first way it helps, the first way it brings glory to God is through our generosity. Uh, that is massively glorifying to God when you think about it. As we give sacrificially for the next generation, as we give for the people of Wollongong to know Jesus, that glorifies God because it reflects something of God's character. That's what God's on about. But God is the God who's generous towards others. Move towards others' benefit. That'll bring great glory to God. But secondly, a building also glorifies God when it helps the people in the building. Uh, It's use. Uh, When the building helps people to live for Jesus, 
When the building is a safe place, a comfortable place, a clean place, when it doesn't distract, when it actually helps people pray, helps people hear the word of God, when it's accessible, when it's visible, when it welcomes and attracts new people, that brings glory to God. That would be a a new home that brings glory to God. Does the building matter? On one level, it doesn't matter, does it? God can do it. But on another level, it's incredibly important uh, because it can bring great glory to God. Uh, Buildings are so important in that sense because people are so important to God. So what what a privilege to be involved in God's great plans, bring glory to his name. But let me, uh, as we finish, think about this. Uh, what a responsibility we have as well. Uh, think about privilege, think, but also now think about responsibility. Uh, what has God done here at Salt? He's grown us over the last 11 years. He's resourced us. He's sustained us. He's gifted us. Have you ever thought, why has God done that? Why has God placed us here in the city of Wollongong? And what are we going to do with what God has given us? It's a great responsibility, isn't it? Not to waste what God's given us, but actually to use it for his glory, to make the best use of the resources we've been given, make the biggest noise possible, pray the biggest possible prayers to see thousands of lives saved in Wollongong and finding a new home that enables that to happen. Everyone knows this guy, Nick uh, Kyrgios. He's a, he's a tennis player uh, who's incredibly talented, talented beyond measure. Um, who's, who's a fan? Mm, no one wants to admit it, except for one. Um, massive ability. Yeah, he's been given huge ability, uh, massive opportunity in the sporting are- in, arena. But here's this, why does everyone get angry with him? Why are people frustrated? Can you imagine being his coach? Can you imagine being his manager? It's because he's wasting the talent that he's been given, yeah? It's because he's been given so much, but he's actually doing so little. He has the chance to do so much, to bring so much glory, if you like, but he's wasting it. And I want to say God has given us great resource great opportunity what are we going to do in response it's what all of god's gifts are for aren't they for his glory and all of creation all of his people and so let's finish tonight by praying towards god's glory i'm going to to read this prayer out to you and notice what this prayer is about and notice what it's what it's hardly about It just says, Dear God, your plan has always been for your glory. Help me live for your glory. Help salt to strive to glorify your name. Glorify yourself in Wollongong and in your world. And please give us a new home that we can use for your glory. You see what it's about? It's about God's glory, isn't it? So let's pray it to that end. It's it's seeing that a new home, it's, it's a tool, it's a building, but it's for God's glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Fathers, we respond tonight to the great things that we've heard from your word. That you are a good and generous and powerful God. You're a God full of grace and mercy and kindness. 
You're a God who's committed to making all things new. Thank you that you've revealed yourself in all your glory. Your plan has always been for your glory. Help me to live for your glory. And help us here at Salt to strive to glorify your name. Please glorify yourself in Wollongong and in your world. And Lord, please give us a new home that we can use for your glory. Amen.